All right. Yeah, he's already laughing. All right. Welcome to the Big Story Podcast. I'm Alex Morrissey. I'm Giddy Dufna. And today we have an awesome guest. Jim Mockwood is with us. Silent G. Right on, man. Silent G? Silent G. That's your new, that's your new street name. <laughs> instead, of, instead of Ollie G. Ollie G. You can nice. just be Silent G. That's like Silent, Silent Bob and Ollie G mixed together. Yes. Uh, I, if I, like I would have known that we would have made that reference, I would have shown up dressed as an Ollie G type character. Oh my god! Look at that with like the yellow jumpsuit yeah. and the skull cap, and you guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude! Come on. Either disturbed or let's start I over. I go to my closet. <laughs> I've got the, I'll hit pause. I've got right the back. outfit. <laughs> Damn it! Let's do this. Oh man. <laughs> What a beautiful, what a beautiful studio. Is that, is that like where you work during the day in that space? Mm. Yeah, this is my, this is my living room and my studio is right here. So there's like yeah. big, big bay windows on this wall. Oh, that's nice. And then I have a big table and then a drafting table and it's just right there. I would switch the camera, but I don't, it's kind of trashed right now. No, no, I, I want to, yeah. And I, I, but, I can dream of that beautiful sort of setup, you know, like, uh, yeah. Charles Schultz's drawing table and chair, like some beautiful, you know, classic. We'll just, we'll just imagine it. Yeah. This, I did this on purpose because this is the nice shot. This is like the clean. Oh, it is really like, well curated. clean back there. And then Listen, no, no artist space is clean. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. This is just for Zoom, what you guys are seeing right now. It's just like for Zoom. <laughs> Our, our curated world, like our curated tiny world of like people like taking pictures of their food at a, at a table, you know, like this very small thing is now it's widened out to like you know this this sort of cone shape of it's our tough, life, man. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> we got to be very it's careful. <laughs> we have the ten feet that we need to manage in our lives to make sure that we don't look like complete total wrecks. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm not going to show you the kitchen right now. No. But maybe oh, we should no. demand to do the do these future interviews in kitchens with people. Really, uh, just look at their sinks, and we'll go. Hmm. Sink yeah. talk. <laughs> the latest thing is everyone's really into sink talk. We do well. It's like well, di we're dishing. That's what it is. We're dishing. Um, I like it. So you're you're in a great city. Um, Portland is one of the really wonderful towns in this our this great country of ours. But um, yeah, um, how long you been there? Uh, about four years. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so it was interesting. It was weird. I was looking for a break from LA. I had been in LA for 16 years. Mm. Um, and I met this really cool dude online, this photographer guy. And he was like, why don't you rent my house in Portland and you can do month to month. You can do whatever you want to do. Super cool guy. So I, I got into this space and then I only had about a year and a half to experience Portland. And then I was traveling a lot in 2019. And then when I got back from my travels at the end of the year, December, January, that then the shit hit the fan. Right. And so I feel like I'm still kind of like figuring out the city and exploring the city because as you know, for all of 2020, like none of us really left. Right. Yeah. So and we're we, artists. We stay inside drawing all the time. So yeah. And I mean, you know, I can't complain, man, because like my life didn't change that much because I'm I'm inside drawing all day anyway. So, but it did affect like my um, 
ability to kind of uh, absorb a new city and environment. And I feel like we're just get, like me and my homies yeah. are just getting back to hanging out on weekends, getting sure. out, going to bars, going to restaurants, going to see music. Yeah. So it was an odd it was an odd time to move, not knowing like your new appreciation for a new city is going to be completely like interrupted. Yeah. It's like, it's like a delaying thing. Like you just, you know, like you're, you're sitting for two years, like looking through like the travel guides of Portland going like, Oh, that sounds really nice. I yeah. hope that's still here when I get back, when, when they right. let me out. Yeah. Do you think it was easier living there than it was in LA for the 2020? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because in yeah. LA, man, I was living in a stacked apartment style Hollywood uh, building situation. Yeah. And here it's like I have my own house. The neighborhood is quiet. Everyone's chill. And so Sweet. I could at least get out, go for walks. Yeah. And I just felt slightly safer here. Um, sure. But, you know, both LA and Portland erupted in uh, rioting and Yo, man, Asheville, Asheville was on the map for our riots. We we are we're punching way above our weight, man. We got we got <laughs> for our riots. That's crazy. You know what, Alex? Uh, in twenty eighteen, before I decided to move to Portland, I was in North Carolina for a Comic Con, and then I got a rental car and went up to Asheville to check it out. Yeah. Cause I heard so many great things about it. And I wound up looking at a couple houses, a couple apartments up there, but it was a situation where like, I literally knew no one there. Right. And in Portland, I moved up here already knowing some of the comic book community. I had friends here that I just, I, I knew I was moving into a situation where I had a friend group and Asheville's really beautiful, but I, it just seemed like I'm going to have to convince other friends of mine to move here if I yeah, make, right yeah. there's it's funny because like when I when I first moved here I didn't, and I didn't know a single person like my wife was the only person I knew when I moved to this this town and I was listening to this podcast for about a year or so and one of the guys on the podcast is from New York City and he was talking and they were kind of asking him questions you know just as bantering and he's like oh I live in North Carolina now he has this thick Brooklyn accent. So you wouldn't have guessed that. And then, and I was like, oh, that's funny. And then he, they're like, well, where? And he's like, oh, you would never would have heard of it. And I was like, hmm, you know, and I, and, and then it turns out he is from, he lives in Asheville. So I found his website and emailed him and like, we became best friends. Like it was oh, just ridiculously weird sort of confluences. And we had his brother, who's a comic book artist for Archie um on oh, the show as well so it's kind of that? uh thomas patilli is the is the guy and then so the guy my buddy his name is his street name is james flames and he does concert posters for like all sorts of cool bands oh cool that's awesome yeah it's a great great gig he's really good at it and um but like we've got a bunch of like matthew manning the the comic writer is here hope larson is here oh, and a handful yeah. Yeah, so a handful of other people are here. I'm here, um, and um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's it's you know slowly kind of growing. You know, um, it's a hip town, so maybe more comic people will find it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's one of those cities that you wouldn't really know until you go and actually visit it and experience it. Mm -hmm. But it did have like, oh, this almost has like Portland, Austinish, like a real tiny like 
yeah, like if you shaved off a little bit of Austin, a little bit of Portland and threw it in the mountains, you're like, there you go. Good luck. We used to describe it as if someone like grabbed Williamsburg and shook it upside down in the mountains over here. And all these hipsters are kind of walking around like, wait, what do I do? Where? And then next next thing you know, they're craft craft brewing. So yes. Um, yeah. IPAs for, for days. For days. Um, the, so LA, um, interesting. I had a buddy who lived there, uh, Culver city, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And his apartment was like apartment 14 and five eighths. Like it was a fraction. Right. Cause it was some sort of like, they just kept adding on departments in this small little complex. They were, and they, they just gave them fractions. It was hilarious. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it, I don't regret living there. I mean, I had a blast and made tons of connections for business and career opportunities. It's um, it, LA is a very, it's a very specific lifestyle. Uh, I mean, if you're looking to move and like meet the love of your life and have children and have a house, I wouldn't recommend it, but I was in my late twenties when I moved there and I was single and a, and a total hustler as far as freelance art goes. So I went out every night and met artists and directors, photographers, filmmakers, That's the way studio, to do it. studio executive people. I, I networked my way into getting freelance work with yep. animation studios, film studios, gallery shows. So if, if you want to, you know, do that dance, that's what, the, that's what the city's there for. It's just really playing. <laughs> it is kind of exciting. Like I was just there two weeks ago for a friend's wedding, and there is sort of an energy there of, well, this is a whole city of just people that are here to make stuff. Yes. Like people yeah. are here to make movies, entertainment, animation, comic, you know, it, music. And and so it's exciting to have that energy, but it's also like after 16 years of that nonstop grind it was mm-hmm. i was kind of like i think i'm ready to have like a slight break yeah from all of this you so, know uh, crazy here's a crazy question you made me think about it earlier when you were talking about your space and working in it um now i know the covid might have changed this for every for everyone's sort of their re- personal record but like what was you, what's your personal record for not leaving your house and just staying there working you know what i mean like you just get get on a tear and you're you're inside for how long? Like, what do you have? Like a can you remember? Like, oh, I've been in date for three days or whatever. That's a good question. Um, probably yeah, like three to four days. Uh, I, years ago, I was working on a um, short animated project with the Titmouse Animation Studio. Yeah, like, we like Big Mouth and stuff. Uh, yeah. I was working on some shorts for the relaunch of liquid television at MTV. Um, so we were doing a show called Disco Destroyer. You can actually see the two episodes we made on YouTube. Okay. Um, me, Scott Mosier, Kevin Smith's producer, and Joe Casey created this concept together. But I took it on myself to do all the designs, all the character designs, and do all the key frames. Oh, geez. For okay. both episodes and each episode was only three minutes six minutes of animation total but dude to, to draw every single keyframe of every shot it i bit off like way more than i could chew and so there was a time it was like i had friends like deliver me food and stuff because i i literally couldn't leave the drawing table for like four days sleep five six hours yep get up 
you know, overdose on coffee, whatever. And it, but it was just, I was younger and, and just didn't understand the right. commitment. And the Titmouse guys were like, dude, we, the directors have to have all of this like now. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, time's money with animation and all their people that were working on my show were in house. Right. We're getting paid per day. Yep. So if they don't have anything to work on, Titmouse is losing money. Yeah. So, long story short, that was probably my my biggest, you know. With COVID, I mean, I was I was at home alone for yeah. the first three months or whatever. But like, I mean, I was taking breaks, going on walks. I, right. I you know, it, but that aloneness it, it does become uh, strange. Yeah. You know, I don't recommend it. No, 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 no. It's it's it is yeah. one of those weird like you know, comic book project crunches. And next thing you know, you're like, you're stuck inside for three days or four days. And you don't, I mean, you know, you know, well, that was in New York city. So everything could be sent to you, but it was just one of those things where you're like, I need to get out. Like I'm just disgusting and I need to be not in my <laughs> studio. Uh, yeah. It's important. I mean, I make the point of meeting up with friends at least once or twice a week to get out, have a meal yeah. Uh, Saturday, I met up with some buddies out here that are artists that we hung out, went to a bar, got lunch, hung out with our sketchbooks, drew, talked shop. That's another important thing is I think you have to have that in-person interaction with other creators where you get to talk yeah. super nerdy shit. Like what tools are you using? Yeah. Deadlines, you know, um, talk the trade because you know your normal friends aren't gonna understand this like no i feel weird complaining about like editors or deadlines or something and my normal friends are like are you complaining about drawing for a living right like, it's, it's i don't it's, it's hard work but it's work you know it's it, work i mean it's it's serious work. It's really it's serious work. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, I, I, I mean, I remember getting my first assignment at Marvel a million years ago, and I mean, my page rate was. I, I mean, honestly, I don't remember what it is anymore. It was either forty bucks or sixty bucks. You know, something re really low, but that's what you were paid. Um, and I just remember like going like, you know, doing that thought, you know, that dumb thought of like, I do it for free, you know, like, which you really are because you're spending like. 14 hours to do one right. stupid page, but, um, yeah, it's a, yeah. But, and the thing is like, you know, you get like that talking to friends about like, Oh my God, like I picked up, you know, like, you know, whatever, like the Alex Toth, you know, you know, animated book. And then you, you spend like the whole afternoon though going through that thing. And then like, you know, you might think oh, I've wasted that time, but you didn't waste time. You were like learning something that you can bank and, you know, yeah. and regurgitate in some sort of like, personal fashion um yeah that's the that, best man like on saturday we we spent like two hours just talking about jamie hewlett <laughs> you could talk about Hewlett for like 10 days man like he is and his influence and you know, <gasps> the conversation went into mobius for a while very nice just you know you gotta have that because mm -hmm. this is a very specific thing we're we're doing and mm -hmm. and it um the influence of it on pop culture as a whole is obviously like astounding and super yeah. far reaching way more far reaching than I ever imagined as a kid or a teenager. But 
the actual nitty gritty of comics and comic book art is still kind of this niche thing that when you find other people that can speak the language, it is like almost being in a secret club. It's a, yeah. Oh, totally. Like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, there's like, that's what, that's why conventions are so great is when you get to like, you get to like meet with somebody and have that dance. That's why this is great. Like I get to like talk to somebody like yourself who I haven't met personally, but we can sit and talk and get like, all googly like and we're going to get googly on you know on jamie you know like this is our that, tribe yeah it's it's just a thing and like and i don't even do this for a business anymore but i've it, but it's in my blood because it's like that's what made me who i am like yeah, those right. comic books um so i mean where now where did you grow up originally well, i guess uh, I, I was born and raised in st louis mm-hmm. um and then i left home when I was 18 and went to art school in Kansas city. Oh, cool. Wait, which um, it, uh, art, the Kansas city art Institute. Okay. Um, and then after that four years, I moved to Arizona with a girl I was dating at the time she was moving and I figured this would be my way out of the Midwest. Like, okay. God, don't you love your thinking? Like when you're young, like, the, oh, yeah, like- yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had not even ever been to Arizona. I was just like, <laughs> it is awesome i was like her and i are in love we're young and totally dumb i was like 21 and my kansas city friends were like are you sure you want to leave and i was like yeah i I gotta get out of the midwest so moved with her things did not work out with her and i of course but i wound up staying in arizona for like six years because the music and art scene there was really happening Um, and then six years of Arizona summers. Yeah. I eventually was like, screw this. And then made the move. To- <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you're sort of kind of like, you know, most of the way there at that point. So you're like, well, yeah, yeah, not, not, not that big of a jump and it'll be wetter and cooler. So let's yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, that's, that's cool. So now was it just you growing up with your parents or like, what was the, uh, the, the home life like? Yeah, uh, um, one older sister, two younger brothers. Um, me being the oldest son, I was definitely like the black sheep weirdo of the family. Uh, as a teenager, you know, I was into punk and skateboarding and 80s hip hop and horror movies and shit that yes. like, my, my parents just had no idea what what to do with you. I was doing, but... Um, they were supportive with the art thing, man. So, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky with that. And I think my mom was like a really big um, reader. So I think when I discovered and got obsessed with comic books as a little kid um, and obsessively wanted to collect them and read them, I mean, she was very supportive of like, well, even if it's cartoons or whatever, at least he's reading something. So as soon as I discovered that there was such thing as a comic book store, um, I, I was begging my folks to take me there as often as I could and just absorbing that culture and then drawing my own comics, making my own art and uh, figuring out just like, how do I want to pursue this? You know, I started getting really serious about it when I was 13, 14, 15. I became kind of like the art star in my school. Mm-hmm. So as soon as, as soon as, 
my peers started telling me like, hey, you're like pretty good at this. That was kind of the signal to me. Like, I think this art thing, comics, whatever, I think yeah. this thing is something I could actually make a go of. Well, how did you, how did you, how did you recognize it was a thing that you could even sort of pursue? Because I mean, even though they're like all the credits in the books, you know, when you're growing up, they, it, it, we didn't know these people could have been locked in a closet or they could have been on Mount Olympus for all we know, like who they were. Um, like, was there, did you get some sort of, I don't know, like what sort of entree happened to you to say like, oh, this is a real thing done by real people? Yeah. Uh, I discovered a friend of mine had how to draw comics the Marvel way. Yeah. So flipping through that, I realized, oh, this is a job and there's actually artists mm -hmm. that are making this stuff. I thought that you had to move to New York and actually go into Marvel and DC every day. Right. And you had your drawing table and you worked there. And then as soon as I found out the concept of freelance and people working from wherever, FedExing the artwork in, that was a whole other idea. And then I got really lucky, man. And when I was 15 in St. Louis, there was two guys that had a publishing company called Artline Studios and they were self-publishing black and white indie comics. One of the guys was from Brooklyn, New York. The other guy was from Illinois and they saw my work and took me under their wing and basically hired me as their studio apprentice. Oh, cool. So, at 15, I was doing the most minimal, like entry level grunt work, like erasing pencils from inked pages. Sure. Um, sharp, sharpening pencils. Gotta do it, man. Cleaning supplies. But the one main dude, Lorenzo, the better of the artists, the dude from New York, he's the guy who sat me down and was like, here's the tools that are used to make comics. You have mm -hmm. the 11 by 17 Bristol board paper. You have the pencils, you have the ink tools, you've got the Windsor Newton ink brush, you've got a T-square. I, I didn't know about any of this stuff. Right. So I, I literally had a mentor that was 10 years older than me um, explain and show me how all of this was done. So I, I started inking his work and then him and I started sending out samples of our work to all the companies just by looking at their address in the mm -hmm. credits of the comics. Yeah. Um, and then eventually we started getting in the car and doing road trips around the Midwest and going to conventions in Kansas city and Chicago and actually waiting in lines and talking to editors and none of them gave us work, but just meeting editors face to face and getting a third party perspective critique. Some of them were dicks to us. Some of them were really nice. Some of them were real brutal with the critiques, but Lorenzo and I were always open-minded enough to take it because, I mean, I wanted to learn and I wanted to learn quick and, and I wanted to figure out how do I get in? Like, I'm ready. So if you're saying I'm not ready, tell me what I need to do. Right. Right. You were looking, you were looking for like, Hey, okay. So what are the dance moves I need to learn to be able to get on the floor and do this, do this. So so that, that so it's an easy sort of mental transition, I guess. I mean, I mean, I guess you could have said like, I'm just going to grind even harder, or go learn from people to you know get better at this, and hence maybe go choosing to go to art school might have been the choice for you. Yeah, and that that was the next thing that happened. I wound up getting a partial scholarship to 
this school in Kansas City. Uh, Lorenzo and I did not wind up getting work together as a team, but then I got to college at 18 years old and uh, I met this cat, Mike Huddleston. Sure. Yeah, of course. Two years older than me. And as soon as I saw his work and he was doing his own comics, it was like the top of my head exploded off my body. And I was like, I have to become friends with this guy and learn from this guy. Like, so Mike was my second mentor. Right. Mike was the best guy in the illustration program at our school. Everyone was scared of him because he was so good. Mm -hmm. He was very shy and didn't talk to anyone and everyone took this as him being like really angry sure and sure. anti-social yeah. and i just took it as no this guy's a genius and i'm gonna like crack that shell yeah nice. and i'm gonna become friends with him sure and so <laughs> that is what happened and i wound up becoming his anchor for the comics okay. that he was doing and then him and i and another incredible artist named nathan fox Oh yeah, yeah. Nathan, I mean, is, Nathan's all tied up with SVA for a while, yeah. or is he still tied up? Yeah, yeah. So he's like yeah. on the MFA program with them, I think, right? Yeah, he is. And so Nathan was my is my age. So Nathan, I met in the dorms freshman year. Okay. So we became buddies, and then me, Nathan, and Mike, and a couple other dudes all moved into a big old like dilapidated art ghetto style house. Awesome. And lived there for the next you know three years of art school, but. Man, basically what happened was we had this factory in our house of guys just grinding away at comics and illustration, nonstop inspiration. We were all super poor, cliche, eating like ramen every night, peanut butter sandwiches, whatever, drinking <laughs> malt liquor, drinking our 40s, right. smoking whatever weed we could get a hold of, music bumping throughout the house. And- you know, I would just go from guy's room to guy's room and be like, what are you working on? What do you got going on here? How did you do that? How did you do this? What technique are you doing there? And man, when you're that age, 18, 19, 20, yep. your brain can just absorb information so quickly and so yeah. deeply that in just the first year, two years of living with all those guys, I, I got better like at an incredible rate. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was the biggest growth jump that I had had in my entire life up to that point of like, if you saw my sketchbooks freshman year, when I got to art school and then my <laughs> sketchbook two years later, it was this like monumental leap. Oh, and, awesome. and to the point where Mike and I did start getting some work together as a pencil or inker team, but then I kind of went in my own direction and was like, I'm, I'm also, oh shit, sorry. Damn it. Um, but I was like, I'm also going to go in my own direction and, and start writing and drawing and self-publishing my own little zines and mini comics. So, okay. So, like, I, so I want to dig into that because there, that's an interesting sort of, because here you are, you were doing the, you were doing the sort of the efforts, you know, back in, St. Louis looking for looking for work, you know, so I guess I'm guess more mainstream work trying to trying to find that that thing. Then you go to art school and you're sort of your head is blown with opportunity or not opportunity, but possibility. Mm -hmm. And 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 you find sort of like these really sort of like like minded and influential sort of, you know, peer members. But 
you're like, hey, <laughs> I want to do my thing. So what was it? What was it? What was the catalyst for that? Like, what was the model that you were looking, you know, toward to say, oh, that's what I want to do? The career and life changing moment was discovering Jamie Hewlett's. Okay. Yeah. So I mentioned him before, but um, mm. but this girl, is. This is 92 through 96 is like when you're in college. It's 93 to 97. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So yeah, you're, so you're like, you're sort of in the, the mm. peak America sort of like love affair with tank girl era, you, you know, cause when we were in college was 87 through 91 okay. and it was just coming over. So I, I would like, you know, drive my friends crazy going, Oh, let's go to this other shop. Maybe I can find a, a tank girl thing. Like I was just so <laughs> right. obsessed with finding his stuff. Um, so like you were right there when, like, when like everyone's like, Oh yeah, I guess we'll order that because it's really cool. And then now it's in the stores. So yeah. it was perfect timing because I had seen his work before, but not recognized it. And so a girl in my class had the very first dark horse collection of all the tank girl stuff. The mm -hmm original Hewlett stuff. And just flipping through that, it, it kind of like made a light bulb go off where I was like, I think this is the direction I want to go in this Please. level of silliness, irreverence. It's a big middle finger to pop culture, politics, yeah, other comics. This guy's obviously influenced by fashion and music and, and, all these other things and it's just so damn hip and sexy and cool so and, hip. and irreverent that that's what I wanted to do. And then at the same time I was having this discovery, Mike wound up getting hired by DC comics to become the full-time monthly penciler on Deathstroke, the Terminator. Okay. I did not get the gig as his anchor and we were pushing super hard for this. And the assistant editor, I don't remember who it was, tried to get me in. The editor above her said no. And they put an anchor on Mike that was butchering his work every single month. It yeah. was so weird and heartbreaking to witness. Like the comps would come every month and Mike would take the box and not even open it and just throw it in the trash. Yeah. It was so fucked up. It was weird. And so that was like a warning signed to me and I was like, okay, I can try and be an anchor, but I really think my gut instinct is telling me I have to go on my own path now. Right. You know, and so in 95, I self-published the very first Girl Scouts uh, comic that I wrote, drew, printed, stapled. Yeah. Um, I did, uh, and I started hustling it around town, man, and getting it put into comic shops and record stores on consignment. Um, it started to sell and I followed that up after two issues of Girl Scouts with a book called Cosmic Toast, which was my own self-published anthology book modeled after my love of eight ball, Dan okay. Klaus and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So different short stories drawn in different styles. That was the breakthrough book. And that book wound up getting me discovered ironically by Scott Lobdell at a comic book convention. And he took that back to New York. Okay. And that's how I got my first gig with Marvel doing this Generation X underground special. That makes complete sense. Yeah, because that's, that's so, that, that was the underground book for Marvel, you know, like was yeah. 
was Generation X. I mean, they they got the coup by getting Chris, and they they had a little attitude to kind of go, hey, let's try this, let's try that. Definitely, and I, it was great, man, because um, the it was a weird time because the X Men offices were like in complete disarray at the time. So Scott showed my work to a young assistant editor named Jason Liebig, mm-hmm. and Jason loved my work and and started calling me every day and we figured out how to put this book together he got bob harris to just sign off on it i don't even know i don't even know if bob saw it dude i i was i was in the office and bob was complaining it probably somewhere around the same time you know era he's like god he's like god the sales aren't as good as you know for x-men as they you know as as they should be that was the sort of the 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 scuttlebutt and He's like, I don't know what to do. And I was standing there with him and his assistant. And I was like, well, you should be like, put people like the Pander brothers on your, on the X-Men, you know? And they both looked at me like I had like, you know, seven heads. They're like, who are they? Like, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, and, and I'm, listen, I'm not indie man, you know? Like I'm, yeah. I am, I am straightforward, you know, you know, superhero comic guy, you know? But I'm like, no, no, no. Like, and I kept trying to explain to him, like, the person who's drawing your book isn't the star of the book. The X-Men are the star of the book. Right. You put anybody, you know, who can get your book done on your book, the X-Men, they become a star. And now you have a famous, now you have a famous person drawing your comic book because it's the X-Men. Like you can make the Pander Brothers famous. You can make anybody famous by putting them on the X-Men. And they just didn't understand that sort of that sort of concept at the time. That's um, totally true, what you just said. Yeah. It so it was just so strange because, you know. I started making this book and I started getting paid by Marvel. So I was like, I guess this is actually happening, but I'm going to, I'm still in school. This is my senior year of college and I'm going to school and going to classes and I'm telling everyone I'm working on an X-Men book for Marvel. And everyone's (laughs) like, get the fuck out of here. No, you're not. And I'm bringing in pages and I'm like, and they're like, Marvel's not going to publish this. But like people didn't believe me. And, so it was weird because at the same time I'm I started dismissing my classwork. Yes. Because senior year was coming to an end and I had I was achieving my dream. I was like, yeah, why am I doing an illustration for a teacher I hate for their class that I don't like when I'm sitting at home getting paid to draw my own X-Men book? So by second semester senior year, I I, I was kind of like fading out with classes i still graduated i don't know i don't think my grades were great but i i was i was it was just so weird because i was like i'm already doing what i came here to do yeah no john paul was the same way like the 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 school just let john paul do his comic books you know they're like what what are you gonna do it's like he's drawing at a professional level like he doesn't you know not that he doesn't need to learn anything the guy was a sponge but he also was like you know, what are you going to do? Say, no, 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 no. You really need to do this, this, this triptych painting that we need you to do and not do that assignment, you know, for, you know, the publishing company. Right. He was so damn good, man. Oh my God. It it was, so he was, so he was a freshman when we were seniors. And so he was in our dorm and we were hanging out 
and so the I, I had I had seen him and met him, so to speak, walking to the to the bathroom. You know, he would be sitting in the hallway with the like the the big like fourteen by twenty four, you know, hard bound sketchbooks. You know, with from Miami, so he's got like this sort of really colorful shorts on, tan skin, and a tank top. You know, like that was John Paul's clothes and hair up to here, right. and and he's drawn away. And you would walk by, and then he would just kind of close his book and kind of like like pull his cards in you know and it wasn't that he was in i don't think it was that he was embarrassed he just he, you know he just i think he was just very kind of like not shy shy but he just didn't really want to kind of like be caught out or anything like that so i was hanging out with another classmate um of his who happened to live like right down the hall from me and he's like He's like, oh, do you know John? And I'm like, no. And he's he's like, he's like, oh, and then so he runs away, grabs JP's sketchbook, and comes running back to me and hands me the sketchbook. So, and that of course, JP comes, you know, following to get his sketchbook back and flipping through it. And it was just like, what the hell is I mean, it was like, you know, getting someone hand you Michelangelo's sketchbook. You're like, here, take a chance, take a look at this. And he's like 18 years old and he could just draw like nobody's business yeah just a natural just was was that uh th that was sva yeah yeah okay so i'll tell you a real quick thing uh i had my heart set on going to art school in new york so before i got to kansas city my dad was actually cool enough to uh take me to new york in 92 before i graduated high school and we did tours of pratt and sva okay but the problem was and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not remembering this right. I had my heart set on SVA, but SVA does not have a central campus. It's various buildings spread out throughout. Yeah. Manhattan. And then the big problem was their dorms at the time were like in Jersey City. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. So we so the so in 91 was last year that they were sort of like what I call stateside. So we were in, they were in a dormitory uh the dormitory in a ymca uh up on the east side and then also in this other building like in the upper west side and then they had dorms where gary state was over in um jersey city Hoboken. Okay. So, okay. and that was the sort of the 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 group of them and then after that 91 year they just moved everyone over there and that was the end of it yeah okay so yeah. that was a major sticking point with where sure. You know, I, I mean, dude, I was raised in the suburbs in the Midwest. So my dad's going into New York. My dad was like, you're not equipped to deal with New York at 18 years old. And then to make matters worse, we went <laughs> to, uh, we go to Pratt in Brooklyn and the neighborhood outside of Pratt. It's all gated off from the neighborhood. But yeah. the neighborhood outside of Pr Pratt, the day we went into the tour, there's like crack deals going on right outside the sure. pool. So yeah. my dad, you know, we had a blast in New York, but my dad is just like, I just don't see you being in New York at 18 years old on your own. Yeah. Like it just is it, you know, I just didn't have the street smart. So the compromise and getting money from Kansas City and just a three and a half hour drive from St. Louis, that was the happy compromise I reached with yeah. my parents. And it was still good for me because I couldn't wait to get away from them and their influence. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, <laughs> So as soon as I got to school, I mean, all of us freaked out anyway and like shaved our heads or grew our hair long or, you know what I mean? Like get your piercing. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So 
freshman year, the first couple of weeks, it's so funny to see all the freshmen just like freak out and try and start to become who they want to become. Yeah. Right. That was a big thing for me. And, um, you know, you, you find your tribe and that's kind of what happened with, like I was saying with Mike and this crew of guys and then scoring my first big gig, I graduate, I move to Arizona and then I go to San Diego comic-con that summer, 97. Yeah. And I meet Bob Shrek, who just formed Oni Press. Sure. I meet Bob and I meet Kevin Smith. And then I get hired to do oh, that's awesome. the, Clerks, the Clerks comic book with Kevin. Right, right. So boom, X-Men and then boom, Clerks. That was the big. Uh, that's big. Of- yeah, big. And they're, they're marquee names. You know, like, like you, can, you can walk into almost any meeting with those names and people are going to know what you're talking about. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Man, it's really talk about being in the right place at the right time. It was sure. that San Diego show was like the best move I ever made. And it was funny because I was still finishing up the Gen X book for Marvel. Okay. Jason Liebig, my editor I was working with, I was crashing in on his on the floor of his hotel room. Sure. That's, what, I was, dude, that's what everyone does. Yeah. I, was still, I was still super poor at the time, but he was like, come to San Diego show your work around. I'll introduce you to a bunch of people. But it was even the same thing as school, man, where I was handing out packets, photocopy packets of the Gen X book to every publisher. And mm-hmm. every editor was looking through the samples like, Marvel's publishing this? Like, <laughs> people thought that I was either crazy or just making this up. Right, right. sure. Right. Well, maybe, it, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, aside, because Epic really wasn't doing anything at the time. You know, Epic was like, I think Marie was handling the remainder of the printing of Akira with Epic through the 90s. Like that was really what Epic kind of hung around to do. Maybe there's a handful of other things, but it wasn't what Epic was in the 80s. So right. we, you, you, so you weren't seeing, you know, uh, Havoc and Wolverine, you know, stuff coming out, you know, in the 90s. So for your your artwork style to be sort of like with the Marvel, you know, the blue line paper, they're like, mm, like, I mean, because yeah, I mean, sure, what a great scam. You just draw on any, you know, on Marvel or DC paper and say, like, hey man, this is happening. They're like, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how did you get the paper? Right. Exactly. That's that uh, becomes the big, the big thing. Everyone asks that question. But like, so I mean, but you, I mean, and to anybody who's, you know, who's watching or listening, who was around or what, you know, has been to San Diego, which is, you know, phenomenal show San Diego in the nineties and before um, it was the convention you went there and you made connections and you made industry connections and you got work. Like that's what it was. You met people, people were, they weren't, it was a trade show for the business to get business done. It, It wasn't this, sort of song and dance routine of, you know, hey, check out our movie or TV show kind of thing, which great that that exists because it's been huge for the, you know, for the sustainment of it. But it was amazing, man. You, you like you would meet Bob Shrek or you'd meet anybody. Um, yeah. Completely. No, you're totally right, man. And that was the main function of the show. You know, it, it, it um, 
me and my whole crew were kind of, you know, I, I don't know how you felt about it, but we were all kind of heartbroken when all the Hollywood Hall H stuff started happening in the early right. 2000s when the big, you know, because uh, I moved to LA in 2003. So I was already around Hollywood stuff and billboards for movies. So I personally didn't care about seeing that promotion, seeing that presence at what yeah. I considered to be my sacred comic book show the show that really broke me that like that like broke my career i mean you know yeah. um so san diego was like a very sacred thing to me so to see it become less and less of the pure art comic book show and a way to like make connections and get work it was a strange transition for me and all my friends to witness it was it was weird yeah so i mean but how did so i mean like you know, and, and, you know, just going back a little bit because you know your your sort of declaration, you know, to Mike was, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna write and draw my own comic books, you know, and you made your zines and you were and you you know you made your your anthology, but then like that hooked you into sort of the mainstream, you know, and you're you're on that route. Like, what what was your sort of internal like? Were you so young and so just like excited about being on the on the treadmill of of the the business? To not go like, oh, but my my personal project or my my thing, you know, like was there that or did you just go like, woohoo, it's happening? Uh, it was a little bit of both of that. I mean, I at the time, I mean, I was saying yes to everything just because I thought, what if this is my only shot? What if this is the only time people want me and are offering me work? Sure. So, um, but dude, the beautiful thing was starting with. Gen X and Clerks, two big books. Clerks led to my relationship with Oni Press and then Shrek immediately offering, well, why don't you write and draw your own thing here at Oni? Oh, cool. Because yeah. your work, you know, people like your art style. So I brought my creator-owned Girl Scouts project to Oni and did a four-issue miniseries that was like 98 going into 99. So I had an, a, a relationship with those guys. And then in 2000, 2001, suddenly I started getting work at Marvel because Brian Bendis got super popular there. And I knew him from like the indie scene from when yeah. he was doing like torso and stuff. So I knew him as like a caliber press guy. Like, right. back, you know what I'm saying? Like back in the day. So when Bendis got huge, he used his clout to bring all these indie weirdos into Marvel in the early 2000s, especially with that book, uh, uh, Ultimate Marvel Team-Up. Yeah. So yeah. I got to draw an issue of that that he scripted. And then Axel Alonso, the editor, wound up giving me some other Spider-Man one-shots and miniseries to work on. Um, so it was weird, man, to to suddenly have this real comfortable back and forth of like, I can do a project for them. I can do a project for me. I can do some freelance stuff in the music industry over here, do some album covers. So my art style that one thing I figured out early on was like, how do I have an art style that can um, go beyond comics mm -hmm. and work in other arenas like animation, advertising, al album covers, freelance illustration. So um it was just something that I was conscious about where I was like, if you work in comics and you become super, super popular, like Jim Lee level popular, 
Jim Lee's art style works perfectly for superhero comics and making yeah, it's, it's big like audiences, yeah. big mainstream fanboy audiences happy, right? But Jim Lee's art style probably won't work for maybe an album cover for a hip hop group. No. Or something. So, so I, I tried to keep enough underground indie sensibility in the actual art style I developed that it could work in comics, but also work in these other arenas. Yeah. You know, and that, I, I mean, that's, I mean, and that's super, I mean, it's super prescient. I mean, like, I think it's so easy to get caught up in just the thing that's in front of your nose to do the thing that's in front of you ra rather than to kind of put it into some sort of context and say, okay, what is this going to garner me down the road? Where can I take this? Because you're so right. Like, you know, it's interesting because so often you don't like, you can't go get illustration work because you draw comic books. Like people, they really aren't the same thing. Um, so it's kind of a tough, it's a kind of a tough road for, because people go, they don't, they don't always want that. Now everyone loves them, but they don't always need it. Right. Uh, but that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, so like kind of like thinking about style, I mean, we, we, we talked about, you know, J, you know, Jamie Hewlett's work and we're kind of right pre gorillas in this time frame. So you, so you didn't even have the model of seeing what he was able to do with that at the even next level kind of stuff. But yeah. um, it, it, so, I mean, cause like it's, I know it's, I don't know if you're going to get the the connection, but when I like, I look at your work and read your work, like I get, do you, I mean, I get a real Masamune Shiro kind of vibe into your work. Is that, yeah. am I crazy? No, oh, no, I love his stuff. I'm a huge Okay, fan. cool, man. Cause like I'm reading and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, if, I mean, stylistically, I'm not, it's not nothing, you know what I mean? But like, there's this vibe in the work and I'm like, I feel like I'm reading like Appleseed. Oh, cool, and, cool. You're the yeah, first yeah. person to sort of recognize that. Um, but he's, that's a huge compliment. I love his stuff. But, he's the greatest. <laughs> you know, I would never even come close to uh, matching any sort of his like technical mastery. Who can? Who can? Um, but you're completely right about like there's a there's an attitude and a fun quirkiness there, mm -hmm. and like all the little characters he'll sometimes put into things like little chibi character whatever that yeah. you call yeah, them yeah, I, know. I, don't, I don't know the, i don't know the vernacular i mean i've been a fan of his since the 80s but yeah. like i don't know the vernacular of it but when i'm reading it i'm like oh like i feel like this is dunan and brerios and like they're in this thing and they're going from one of the crazy cities to another crazy city and like like this is the stuff that's happening and it's not like you're like sort of just tracing that it's like you're just putting that in there because it's a, like a, a passion thing you're like i love this and that's sort of like the kind of vibe of storytelling i love so i'm gonna put it in there and it's Not like really. and to me like i i mean i'm like i'm honestly i'm reading I'm, I'm like i don't i hope i'm not gonna offend him you know by saying this because it's like it's really like it's it's good in that respect like it's super like fun thanks man yeah no it it's the playfulness and it's the like his ability to just draw the shit out of anything. And then, but in the next panel, the character is suddenly this super cartoony yeah. character where it's like, wow, the freedom. And that's what I got out of Jamie's work as well is like the freedom that these guys have to just be themselves, do whatever they want to do where 
at the same time, man, um, in 93, when I discovered Jamie's work, the image style, the Jim Lee, the cross hatching, the ultra tight ink work, the muscle people, that was still a thing. I mean, it was kind of phasing out a little, but that to me seemed like so restrictive of, we've already seen that in it for the last couple of years now. Like we've already done that. Like these other guys more on the indie side of things, like Jamie and, and um, Hernandez brothers, Dan Klaus, Evan Dorkin, uh, early nineties, Simon Bisley, yeah. that all seemed, Dawson Cabbage, that all seemed like way more fun, experimental and freeing to go in that direction. Um, even, even, uh, even Keith Giffen, um, Oh, like treasure and, and that kind yeah, yeah, yeah. of shit. That was all stuff that I was looking at that yep. on top of uh, Atomo and Shiro that I was like, these guys all seem to be tapped into their own unique energy when yeah. it comes to their work. Yeah, and I think and, and I think, you know, I'm I'm now kind of seeing it in a diff in a different light in that sense because you know, doing, doing the books and, and, you know, listen, there are unbelievably great talented comic book artists doing amazing comic book work mainstream in the mainstream fashion, but the way that they're telling a story is fitting within the sort of the confines of what we all sort of accept as mainstream comics. And what we're, what you're calling out as, as examples, you know, Bill being probably the biggest name in the, in the mainstream section of that all is, is being able to do it in their own fashion and tell the story with this sort of like bursts of energy and playfulness that you don't, that the other, the mainstream doesn't afford you. Um, right. And I think when, you know, Chris Bichello moved from, you know, DC over to generation x he brought that with him you know that yeah. like the, the, oh yeah and, and he was able to kind of make a very light-hearted but yet very dark um storytelling um which was necessary i mean and i don't know whether i mean scott must have been it must have i mean to be honest it had to been scott because scott probably said like okay like what bill did with the new mutants was revolution and I'm kind of doing the new mutants of the of a decade later. So right, right. I need to have someone who's going to be able to do have some some legs to be able to spread and go that way. So, um, and I think that's really cool. I mean, and and I I, it's so interesting because yeah, I mean you're you know you're like eight years kind of younger than us. So like when you sort of became aware of comics, you know, Bill had already done Moon Knight. You know, Frank had already done Daredevil. Like the the dark knight was a thing you know ronan was a thing like these comic books were everywhere you know the, yeah. the teenage mutant ninja turtles so you're able to kind of like step into the the spotlight of indie look to comic books which probably was so good for your brain in that sense oh yeah yeah it was um it will as you know i mean the industry was going through the implosion after yeah. the image and speculator bubble burst. Yeah, I was there. So, I sucked. <laughs> so that was another reason to just completely go off of my own direction because anyone who looked like a Rob Liefeld or Jim Lee clone, it's like, I don't know if anybody's getting any work. Like you got to yeah. kind of carve your own path now Yeah. through all this. Because when I was telling you about um, waiting in lines to show editors stuff, 
Mike Huddleston and I were also doing that from like 93 to 96 as a pencil or inker team. And uh, one crazy thing is most editors would say to us, you guys, there might not be a comic book industry in like a year. You seem really talented. You might want to figure out something else to do with your art, with your talent. And Mike and I are like, what the fuck? Like we've spent all this time (laughs) working on pages, making samples and... Now the comic industry is coming to an I mean, this is something that like every editor said to us. Yeah. Was yeah, there might not be comics in like a year or so. And so I mean, I think people have been saying that doom and gloom stuff sure. since like the beginning. But um, so if you're a young artist right now watching this and someone says that to you, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. Yeah. But uh you also have all these new resources where you can just make your own stuff and it's magic. Put it online, crowdfund it, and boom, you have a book. You're making comics. It's unbelievable. So, completely different uh, options at this point, you know. But um, yeah, it. it uh, I hope I, I didn't get us off track. But no, 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 no. We're, there, there is no track. It's just we're, okay. we're, we're just... <laughs> good. No, it, so I mean, but so I mean. So it's, it's 2003 and you're kind of, you're almost like a decade early for what is the sort of the current model, which is have an indie project that you, that is well profiled and people are buying, you know, and noticing and do mainstream work. And you're going back and forth between, because the old model was go back and forth between Marvel or DC or Marvel or Image or whatever it was. But now it's like, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. Um mm-hmm. With, with the with the two and you kind of one needs the other because not everybody knows about girl scouts but they'll see you do something for marvel and they'll go like this guy's great and then they're like oh but he does has an indie book i better go check it out and then you they right. all they go off you know and go buy your book and then the, you know next next thing you know you have a fan and woohoo life is good yeah. um so that's that's pretty cool because i mean it must i mean how did it feel for you at the time because i mean if you mean because not everybody was doing that in 2003. Yeah, it just seemed like, again, I mean, I was still in that career path of like, I'm going to say yes to everything. Yeah. So anything that's offered to me, Axel's hitting me up to do a Spider-Man thing at Marvel. Of course, I'm going to do it. As soon as I finish that up, if I can do another miniseries or something at Oni, of course, I'm going to do that. You know, uh, freelance work on top of that. And eventually, um, after Shrek left Oni, I brought all my creator-owned work over to Image mm-hmm. when Jim Valentino was still the main publisher there. Yeah. And Jim and I clicked like immediately because he comes from indie comics. Yeah. So as soon as I met him and pitched him, he's like, oh, dude, come over, do whatever you want here. Like you'll have a home here forever. Right. So nice. That's kind of something I established with him around that same time, 2003 or so. and. Since then, man, I mean, I've always been able to maintain this nice trajectory of working in comics, doing professional illustration work, showing in galleries, freelancing in the animation world. Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't make a month, I don't make a living doing just one thing. I have like okay, right. like eight different things that I'm always doing. But it's safe because, like you know, comics are going to dip you know, you know, music's going to dip, something's going to dip. And if you have a couple things, you know, trickling in, then you're like, okay, cool. I'm not like, you know, crying because I can't, I can't, you know, pay the rent because of this. Right. Uh, it's almost like you, you learn how to 
set up like different safety nets for yourself around everything that's going on where like what you just said, like, well, if the comics thing isn't happening right now, maybe I can go work on a illustration project over here. Or I've done lots of freelance character design for animated stuff over the last yep. couple of years. Um, video game stuff, loading screens for Fortnite. Okay. That kind of stuff where, I mean, I, I'm sure you know, but like, you know, video game stuff pays great money. Oh, yeah. So, Anything outside of comics makes great money. Yeah. Is that the kicker, man? That's the thing that like it kind of drives me crazy because my heart and my love is is with yeah. the comics first and foremost. But you have other people coming along offering um, serious money, and uh, I, I'm not going to say no to that because no, I. I mean, the beautiful the beautiful thing about that is that. It, I think the, val the, the validation, while you don't may not get the validation through the sort of the dream work, the work that you really dream of doing, you're getting validation from outside of the industry saying, we really dig what you do. Mm -hmm. um, and we want you to bring some of that magic over here and whatever it is. And that's kind of, that's really cool. This, so Gary, so what Gary's doing here, I'll have to explain it to you. I don't know if you know, Jim. Is drawing? Yeah, he's drawing. But Gary, <laughs> Gary's, Gary's really good. He's doing what we call mashups, and he is so he he with guess he likes to take and he likes to basically insinuate his comic characters from his comic <laughs> book into our guest comics, That's and, awesome. uh, and and come up with these pretty clever things. That that Phil is a unique Phil. I've never seen you draw before, Gary. I'm, I'm, uh, it's it's looks like Jim's Silent J, Silent G, uh, May Food uh, work. <laughs> yeah, I dig it. I know the girl is from. Treyarch, I did that character for their offices in LA, the main okay. girl with the guns. Uh, yeah, I love this. This is she's adding, amazing. Adding that zip-a-tone, dude. That's my thing. That that half tone. Oh yeah. This this half tone is amazing, dude. Awesome. Yeah, half tone away. It's, it's a brush, man, in Photoshop. <laughs> I, know, I know. It's you know what though, man? I as of like just recently, like I was, I'm still zip toning cutting it by hand. The actual. Oh my zip. god! Uh, um, do I have an example? You crazy here? man, you. <laughs> uh, but I just bought like the brand new iPad. Okay. A couple yeah. months ago, and yep. now you know, obviously, you can do all that stuff with uh, Procreate or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, here's like, here's an original cover from the new Girl Scout series. God, but that's big in him. him. That's hand cut, zip a tone. Oh, that's cool, man. Yep. Yeah. But it looks it looks great, obviously, on original art if you want to sell a cover or something. Yeah. But I think interior pages from now on, I might be doing the, the digital thing because it's yeah. so oh, yeah. much faster. Well, yeah, yeah as you can see. Like, <laughs> all, these, all these different panels of small pieces of zip. It's just like that's a lot. That's a, just that's a time suck. It's yeah. crazy, man. I mean, I love there's something almost meditative yeah. about it okay. at night, just cutting zip True. and listening to music. But um, holy shit, it does become time consuming. Yeah. yeah, I've listened. There's nothing there's nothing faster than, you know, just the lasso tool and the paint bucket. Boom. Done. Next. It's yeah. It's yeah. yeah. It, it is it is a, it is an amazing. So let, I mean, let's let's kind of go into how you approach your pages and your storytelling. Like, I mean, you know, 
I like to grill writers when they come on because I like to find out how they kind of, they approach the writing and, and, you know, in that sense. And I'm always fascinated about the writer artist because it, that, that combo is a little different. It's such an interesting hybrid because most artists who write their own books typically kind of like, it's a much more sort of by feel kind of approach. You know, you're kind of maybe thumbnailing out your story, writing a few things in the margins of your, your, your eight and a half by 11 sort of type paper. And you're kind of, okay, here's what would happen here. Or I used to write everything out just as like in a giant paragraph. And I would just kind of chunk out sections and go, well, that sounds like a page worth of info. That's another page worth of stuff. And then you just kind of then go to your thumbnail. So how do you, like, how do you put your, your how do you do your block of your 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 mini series then your issues then your pages let's kind of figure out how you kind of winnow it down yeah i mean i always have the stories stewing in my mind and i i decide like with the last girl scout series i just did i'm going to do six issues this is the overall story mm -hmm. and then I'll, I'll i'll start graphing out each six issues and like what happens in each issue like what are the yeah. main big beats of the story? Um, and then for each issue, I basically will keep a notebook, just a spiral notebook of ideas, thumbnails, sketches, character designs, and start putting all that together. Um, before I do that, let me jump back for a minute. Before mm -hmm. I do that, all story ideas and everything I have with the series I'm writing down in some fashion. So it's almost like I have my, my notes thing on my phone or, or scrap pieces of paper. And I sit down and almost have to put all that together like a puzzle Yeah, of all the material that goes into the big overarching series, get a notebook for each issue, break down each issue. And then I start, and then I, I'll actually sit down at the computer and like type out kind of like a ghetto style script for myself. Yeah. Each issue. But it's basically just the dialogue because I know what's going to happen on each page and I know how visually that's all going to break down, but I want to make sure I kind of have the dialogue figured out, but it really isn't until the thumbnailing that I'm, I'm again, putting together almost like this puzzle. Okay. And figuring out the pacing and, um, I'm laying out each issue as double page spreads. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, um, so just like, okay. well, the page turn to me has become this important element of storytelling, right? Yeah. So it's an obvious thing to say, but if you don't know this, if you're watching, it's like, it's this key thing to have a mm -hmm. shocking thing happen with the page turn. Yeah. And, and you, and, and also you don't want to only special effect. Yep. And also with both pages together, when you open the book, you don't want to have like tangents. You don't want to have panels that are the same size on both. You want to, you want to yeah. vary it up design wise. Yeah. So I'm designing from like all these different um, visual cues that I'm trying to put into my stuff. And the joy of writing your own work, obviously, is like, even when I'm on the actual board penciling things out, if I feel like I need to add or subtract a panel or add a little gag to add to the storytelling or add something, I, I can do that because I'm right there. I'm in it. Like, I don't yeah. have to ask a writer's permission or, 
I mean, it, it's all on you. Like if you mess this up, it's your fault, but it's also sure. the most freeing thing in the world to just be like. He was pointing at you, Gary, by the way, just so you I know. I was not Gary. Don't listen to him. Don't Hi. Him. <laughs> it's your fault, Gary. It's all but, my fault. Uh, <laughs> you've done nothing wrong. It's all good. Um, oh, come on, man. I want a little bit of the blame. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's cool to like, um, I mean, I basically just want to craft my own world with my own style, my own characters, my own vibe. And I, I mean, my fans know that that's what they're getting when they get my work. For sure. So. Okay. So that, I mean, that, and that's, I mean, and then, so, so you have, so you have your thumbnails and then you hit your, you hit your page, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the page. Um, how do you like, I, I mean, are you blue pencil guy? Let me just put stuff up here. Just mm, magic socks. I, I'm not a blue pencil guy. I, okay. I'm just going straight, you know, light uh, technical pencil. Yep. Um, and you know, my my pencils, man, are not super, super tight. It, yeah. It's more of um let's see if I have anything penciled here. It's more I don't know if you can blocking? see you blocking stuff in. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's you know, it's the design of the piece, it's the shape, but all this rendering, all the nitty-gritty, that's all gonna be done in the ink phase. Yeah. So um, <laughs> You know, I'm comfortable enough with my own style and approach and what I'm doing to know how much to put down for myself. We were we were talking to someone not too recently who's been doing this for a long time, and they they're like they're like they're like the annoying thing is the longer I'm doing this, the more like the the tighter my penciling keeps getting. Like, and they're inking their own oh. stuff, and I'm like, wow, like because it's so typically the opposite way. You you, you start you start knowing where everything is going to end up in that process so yeah I thought, was, I thought that was quite revealing that's interesting maybe well i don't want to say a lack of confidence with age but i don't know if it's like when you're younger you're just like i know everything it was terry Moore, right gary i think oh, it was terry wow, yeah. yeah i think terry was saying that he's getting he's he's doing more in his pencils if I'm if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I apologize. Are we but, posting that tomorrow? Oh yeah, it goes up tomorrow. So everyone can tell me if I'm wrong tomorrow. Um, of course, that will be in the past when people see this. So it'll be right. very confusing for the world. Just go to YouTube and find it. Yeah, um, but yeah, as I think Terry was saying like you know he was he was you know he's finding that he's doing tighter and tighter and more. And I don't think it's a control. I think for him, it's just, I think he's just seeing more. Like, I think he okay. might, you know, and he might be enjoying it. I don't know, but I, I totally get, I totally get that. And it was a very, I don't know, like when you were exposed to that kind of level of skill when you were younger and when you first saw someone who was doing less penciling, you know, but their artwork didn't look like, you know, they, were, they weren't doing that sort of detailed work and you go, how do you do this? Like it yeah. felt like, it felt like wizardry or something at the time. Totally. Um, that's so always the big question is like, how are you doing this? And that's the thing I did though about art and, and individual styles is yeah. everyone has their own approach. I mean, there's sure. really no, you know, set mode. It's like what you become comfortable with, with yourself and your own style. So mm -hmm. that's the kind of liberating thing about drawing and even comics the approach to storytelling composition panel arrangements it's like well 
that's on you. You can look at lots of stuff, get inspired, learn from other people, but you kind of have to figure out your own uh, lane that you want to go in with all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and, and I, you know, and, you know, I'm like looking at this, like this, you know, this Wolverine piece, like it's so like, I love it, man. I love how it, it's just, it's like expressionist, you know, in it's, in its approach. Um, yeah, that's just straight. I mean, obviously, that's just straight to ink. Down yeah, in, like, straight to ink, just know. sketch. But it's yes, got. But the, it's done in like five minutes. You yeah. Know? Don't tell the person who paid you four hundred dollars to do the commission that. Oh yeah, no. I, I won't. I won't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff is so fun to do, though, especially just to like start the day and warm up, like yeah, not caring about posting it online or anyone seeing it, but just the exercise of making marks with ink and splattering and yeah. making a mess like there's something really liberating and freeing uh, about that you know it's it, i mean it is and i'm not i'm not i've never have been an inveterate you know sketchbook you know person but like it is so interesting when your hand is just kind of doing something and these marks that get made contain all the information you need and it's super simple you right know, it's like you've created some sort of iconic, you know, sort of representation of whatever you're looking for. And it's, it has nothing to do with detail and rendering. You've just created this kind of sh series of shapes. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's it. Like, and now I'm going to go throw crap on top of it. But, you know, but yeah. it, it's that sort of little structure that you can kind of generate. It's a it's a it's kind of magic. Um, yeah. So what kind of I mean, like, so, you, I mean, you are, you know, of the of the ilk of, you know, on paper with tools in hand um which is pretty damn cool because it's not not the norm anymore um yeah for sure and it, it's it's so like what like what are the like what are the chief sort of inking tools are you using are you using like i mean do you use brushes and brush pens do you use or are only you using ink you know and pen and brush like how is your uh my go-to is i'm using those um pilot parallel pens it's a metal tipped uh calligraphy pen okay so i'm using that for most of my line work and i mean it's like drawing with a square wedge sure where if you turn it you can draw on a on the point of it and get a super thin line but you can also twist it and draw on that fatter side and get yeah. that nice thick line so i'm using those um i empty out the cartridges with those cuz they come with um not waterproof ink and i fill them with rapidiograph ink okay. so, can, so it's waterproof you can paint on top and of it super thin. like super so yeah. i'm using those i'm using um japanese brush pens for like dry brush effect and stuff okay um some microns for small detailed work that, that uh, pen's still kicking ass isn't it the micron i mean it, it's a go-to it yeah. it you know what's funny though about microns is um I just I buy them in bulk because I mean they each pen doesn't really last that long. Yeah. Especially if you're being like rough it with it. So microns are great but I, you have to go into it knowing you it's might just get a page or two out of each pen. Yeah. So um that's something that you know I'll just buy like a box at a time. <laughs> um, he's back. Yeah, yeah. And then uh uh you know, I love using like the toothbrush dipped in ink for ink splatter, spritzing effects. 
We mentioned the hand cut zipatone on certain pieces. Um, but I'm definitely, you know, um, scanning everything and, and, and cleaning things up in Photoshop with my comics. I'm with this last Girl Scout series, like I'm adding digital color mm -hmm. after the fact. And then, like I mentioned, I just got the new iPad pro and I'm, I'm starting with, um, coloring with uh, procreate right now. Yeah. Total game changer, man. It's really fun. It's really cool, but I'm still doing my main work, my main ink work on paper um, because I like the feel and relationship to the ink tools on the paper, but also for financial reasons, I want to have tangible physical artwork that I can sell. Yeah. It, you know, it's, so, it's, you know, it's so interesting. Like I, I was, so, I, we were, what, you know, we were uh, at an art opening this weekend and I was having a really great talk with, with a sort of kind of a tech based artist up in DC and and we were discussing like, and I had, I, you know, for years, you know, we were wondering like these you know, people doing digital comic book artwork and they're doing amazing work in this environment. And I thought like, how can they like, like the half of your income, you know, as a comic book artist comes from your originals and, and doing that work. And I kept thinking like, there, how can there be a way to get people like you can do a digital sketch and sell it to somebody and it, be, it has value versus, you know, and, and of course, like the NFT comes into play and, and it's sort of like, corrupts the whole purity concept of like my idea of like just this simple economic trade between a maker and a person you know like now you have a file that's your file and you can get you print this thing or whatever you want to do with it have fun with it but now it's like it's an ugly word it seems at this moment we're you know kind of a facing so um yeah i mean i, I do when i do any work it's on a digital tablet because i just don't you know, it, it's, it's so much more convenient. Um, oh, sure. Sure. You know, it's funny, man. I've had friends of mine that converted to strictly digital with their comics, but they told me they're supplementing their income. They can't sell original art, but now that they can work twice as fast digitally, they're producing twice as much work. So that means they're getting paid that much more. Right. So if, for example, if a guy worked practically and can only do a uh, issue every two or three months, well, now he's digital. He can do a full book in a month. Yeah. So now he's able to do monthly comics. He's able to make that, make that rate. Yeah. So, but again, I mean, every artist is different. It, it, it does depend. Um, yeah. But I, I enjoy having the originals and I have an art dealer, um, mm -hmm. my buddy Inky Knuckles, um my buddy cam uh he's on instagram but um we follow him we, yeah we yeah. have a great thing going where he has a built-in client base and yeah. you know i do commissions and i also have all this art over here for like variant covers different things i've done and i just send it to cam and if he, he can sell it he can sell it we, we, you know yeah no and, and it's great and, and you know and like you know everyone, you know, every artist wants to have an agent who's, you know, making money for them, you know, so fine. If someone's going to make money, they're, they're worth every percentage of that. Give it, you know, Hell take yeah. care of that business and make it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, and I, and listen, I mean, I love working in a digital environment because of the flexibility that it provides. Um, but man, there, there, 
I don't know if I, I don't have any nostalgic thoughts about sitting down at a, at a, at a Wacom tablet and staring, you know, staring at, at, a, at, a, at a, a glowing image, but I have many fond memories of sitting at a drawing table, um, you know, with a straight edge or a pencil or whatever the thing is making a piece of something. So, um, you know, maybe people, you know, maybe you'll have that, you know, digital zipatone memory in your mind, you know, five years ago. It's crazy though to be able to like travel on a plane and color work now on yeah. the iPad Pro. Like that's a huge advantage. That's yeah. But I think for me, my formula I figured out is what I've kind of explained of like, well, you can do you can have the analog and mix it with the digital. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like I can still draw on paper, do the post-production, the coloring on digital. Mm-hmm. And still have the original art, the tangible thing. It's also cool to have the original art at conventions and have people actually come to your table yeah, and yeah. flip through a binder, mm-hmm. big eleven by seventeen art, and see the zipatone cut yeah. it, and that makes an impression on yeah. people. So looking at com- look, look, look at old comic book pages when the lettering was on the page. You're like, oh, yeah, that's so exciting, you know? Like yeah. there, there is a, there is a sort of a you know, we do, I mean, listen, we're, 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 we're tactile beings, you know, and so we do respond to the physical thing and the, the, the dimension that's on the paper. Um, you know, I remember, remember being a smart ass, you know, high school student, you know, going to the Van Gogh show for the first, for the first time, you know, back in the eighties and going, whatever, I've seen all this stuff before, you know, and you walk in and you see this paint just like yes. coming off of the canvas. You go like, Oh, like this is a thing. And it, you know, and it changes your life. So especially with oil paint, man, like the yeah. colors yeah. On, a, on a screen or in a book, you're never going to get the same as seeing it in person. Mm-hmm. Those, those colors pop off the canvas. It's, it's, um, I'm a big fan of Basquiat's work. Sure. Uh, and, and I only saw his work, you know, on, uh, through screens or books, whatever. When I live in LA years ago, they had a huge show of his work at the moment. Right, Cause he sort Just, of wrapped up. Yeah walking into the room man and seeing those eight foot tall canvases with that color mm-hmm. it completely changed my view of i was already a fan but i was like holy shit these are super striking images yeah. like this is crazy this is very impactful he was such a, the funny thing is he was such a background for us because like you know he was he was you know working in the city when we were in school so like you know, we would see his signature around. So you'd see Samo like all over the, all over town because wow. he was, you know, and Keith was, Keith's paintings were still up at the time. So it was just yeah. kind of, a, it was a cool time to see that kind of tail end of it. Did you, did you see that, the, was it the, the, the Enlightened Sun or whatever that, that documentary on Basquiat? Oh yeah, the the Radiant Child. Radiant Child, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it great. Yeah, it it's such great. A, yeah, that was, that's a, you know, if you haven't seen it, find it it's such a great great film um yeah it's in a, in a great period of time in you know in art art history that that sort of i don't know i guess it's the end of the new york city fine art era like it kind of that was it he was the he was the final one and uh of whatever became the sort of the big artist in new york city so and then yeah. and then that to- era man is one of my favorite eras of uh pop culture like late 70s early 80s new york with him keith herring the guys you mentioned all doing their thing but also like punk and and cbgb's was happening 
the beginnings of hip hop was happening. And it just seemed like, I know New York was super like sketchy and dangerous at the time. It was cool. It also seemed like there was so much like just legitimate art and culture that came out of that era. It's it's Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it it was, I mean, in the, it's not that it, and not that it died, you know, a, you know, a silent death or whatever. But like, yeah, I mean, the '90s it, it became a much more of a street art culture, which yeah. you know, which was different um, and still very cool. Um, Gary, you, Gary, I'm, I'm misremembering. You played at CB's. Do you play CB's? Oh before? no, I never played there. No, but you guys but... played there. Oh well, that's no, it. saw a couple yeah. shows. That's it. Yeah, you did, you did go there though. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our mm-hmm. friends, I mean, my friends of mine in college, like their bands would play there. So we go down to CBS and go see their bands play, which is wow. great. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it was a great, it was a great place. Um, yeah, man. I, I mean, uh, I like to talk about old New York all the time. Um, so what, so Girl Scouts is wrapping up, I guess, in two, uh, I guess it's, has the last issue hit on the stands yet? Yeah, it just came out like a week ago, issue Six. six. There you go. Look at let's big in that stuff. Hold on. And big in it. Bam. Nice. There we the go. Series. And then we're doing a trade paperback. <laughs> a, a trade paperback of this in uh June 22nd from Image Comics. Oh, sweet. So it's been a it was a, it was a right around the corner. That's awesome. That's right around the corner. So that's 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 great timing. Just right off the finish, right in the trade paperback. Yeah, they don't they don't wait anymore. It's funny. It's like your series wraps and then your trade hits like a month to two months later. Yeah. And and then it's it's out and it's it, you know, but it's been it's been great to like have consistent work coming out in the comic shop uh, for the last six months. It's just I'm, kind of- I'm I'm sure. I mean it's I mean how I mean how was it for you for the I mean we'll, we'll try to make it brief, but like for the pandemic, I mean, were you were you I mean, because it was it a quiet period for you as far as like the stands and all. So it was kind of a weird feeling. Yeah, I was working on this all through the pandemic, okay. um, yeah. and then without going into too much detail, I, in 2020, I was also working on a Girl Scouts animated pilot for Disney of all oh, people. Cool. Wow. Uh, Disney was going to do an Adult Swim style block of animation. I, you're not the first person I've heard mention this. Okay, yeah. Okay. And so Girl Scouts was going to be part of that. And uh, in the very beginning of 2020, we got this deal. We started writing the pilot. I started designing stuff. We got Peter Chung attached as our director. That sucks. From Eon Flux. (laughs) Um, We had an all-star lineup of talent, man. And then worked on the pilot the entire year 2020. And then right before the holidays, Disney pulled the plug on the entire adult thing they're yeah, not sure. just girl scouts but the whole thing yeah like, we're not doing any of this i think so, you know that's gotta be tough um, for in 2021 i was i was definitely bummed out but i was like you know what i'm just gonna like concentrate all my efforts on writing and drawing my own girl scouts book i get to do whatever i want no one yeah. can edit me and then you know it started coming out six months ago so it was it was kind of a very clear mission for me to be like, I, I just need to go back to my 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 book, my my yeah. stuff. That I do. Can you do something with that? I mean, is there? Some, I mean, is it is it all just tied up? Like what you did? Like, can you make something from the, that all that work in twenty twenty? We can. Um, Disney was actually really cool about getting us the rights back 
Okay. Quickly. So I have it all and I'm working with this production company and they're shopping it to other streaming channels to see okay. if we can get a bite on it anywhere else. You should uh, do the art of the show, but never do the show. Like do a whole <laughs> kickstart an art book. Dude, you could totally or, do it. That's awesome. I think because I mean, we, everyone loved the art of animated whatever books. And if you did that and then there you go. That's so great. I, I'll i credit you in the book for the idea, but I might, Sweet. that's a, that's a great idea. That's hilarious. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, I, I think it would be something that people would love, period. And who you could still shop it around to get the show done, but like, wouldn't that be a great thing? Like, hey man, like 70 million people paid us money for this thing. You maybe right, want right. to think about making it, you know? Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's cool. So that's cool. I mean, I, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's fantastic to get, I mean, Development, whatever the thing is, you know, I, I I call like developing a you know a movie, uh, whatever the thing is, it's that's design work. You're creating, mm -hmm. you're design, you're designing, and eighty percent of design never sees sees the light of day. It, it's just the nature of design. It's just a thing that is a generator, and then maybe a sliver comes off of that, and you can make something from it in the long run. But um, that's kind of part of the deal. Um, oh yeah, and you have to know to like not get your hopes up too much with any sort of Hollywood stuff. Like unless you're signing the contract that says you're making season one, just sign the contract that says you're making a pilot Yep. and you're getting this money. You're getting it. That is, it is exciting, but like there's no guarantee of anything, man. And so you have to limit your, yeah, yeah, sure. I guess it's got to be, it's terribly hard. I don't, you know, I mean, like, you know, I've never had to do anything at that for that type of work. But when you, when something big comes across your, your table, you know, it's hard to not get like, well, this could be really the thing, you know, and you, you know, you have to keep going, okay, we get back there. I got to get this done and do the next thing, you know, but yeah, yeah. it's, uh, well, my attitude is like, my thing is like, I always try, I always, I always put a hundred percent into every opportunity so when they when they passed on the show and all this like me and my writing partner i told her i'm like you know what though we're bummed out but like we gave this 110 percent. we did our best we delivered a script that everyone liked this is in-house at disney this is their problem this yeah. is their mistake of passing on this but like we did our job we yeah. did like, i can rest easy knowing like we crushed it as hard as we could, man. If it's they don't a, get it, then they don't get it. You know? It's a good, it's a great idea, but it may be the wrong brand in the terms of Disney. Like it makes sense, but I think Disney has a very hard time outside of Disney. So like, I mean, because really? Mar Marvel is really like edgy for DC, for, for Disney. So yeah. it's a real, it's a really, it, so they have a lot of, there's, there's a very thin ice that they skate on because they've made a very, you know, closed world. And it, you know, so it's a tough, it's a tough thing for them to have to negotiate outside of that. So um, yeah. And, and something will happen of it. It, it. Whatever. I'm going to see this art book. I can't wait. So yeah, yeah the art book, that's going to happen. Now. That's going to be, that's going to be the thing. <laughs> so what's, so um, the trade paperback comes out early june june 22nd 22nd that's not early june that's late june um but that will be here before you know it it i know <laughs> yeah that's that's good and bad right um <laughs> oh, so what, are, are you doing any conventions this year 
Yeah, I was also going to mention, so the trade comes out on June 22nd, and then that weekend I'm at Heroes Con in North what? Carolina. So am I. Well, I'll see you there. Oh. Here's by. Nice. Oh, Nick. Uh, another one, Nick Filardi, colorist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick is really Yeah. Yeah, so the, the Asheville list of comic book artists is growing. Oh, um, cool. Okay. So creators. Well, I'll see you next month then, man. And then I'm also doing, I, I believe I'm doing Emerald City is in August and then New York uh, in October. Okay. Very cool. Uh, I do. I do New York every year because that's my favorite show. It, yeah. I mean, man, like, I mean, I lived in New York for 25 years. So like that, like the, the New York conventions from 1988, 89 to whenever we moved away, like that was, you know, it, and it was a roller coaster of, coaster of joy and sadness from, you know, why? Because I mean, we were in, it was in a basement underneath a, a, a church for a while. I mean, that's how low it went. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it was, you know, it was fun. Um, what was it gonna uh, damn it i was gonna mention something to you but well yeah we'll look we'll, oh yeah what size t-shirt do you wear a uh, medium okay good to know i mean just random question just yeah to... yeah okay. i'll accept any and all gifts hell uh, yeah relating, to, <laughs> relating to uh free apparel yeah free stuff yeah cool um well i'm gonna I'll, I'll, are you good man this was this good for you I had a blast. You guys are awesome. Cool. This is great. You're awesome. Thank yeah, you yeah. for having me, and uh, let's let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, all right. All right. Well, I'll I'll take this away. Phil is usually the one who takes it away, and I'm not good at taking it away. I'm good at bringing us in, but not so good at taking us out. So uh, <laughs> it's just the nature of things. I'm not good at ending stuff. You know, you ask all my ex girlfriends. Just asking questions. You're good at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you rocked it, man. You did great. All right, Jim, thank you for joining us. This was an absolute pleasure. Um, Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah, it. Can't, can't wait to see. The, I'm going to go pick up the trade paperback. Everyone should pick it up. And um, don't hurt your back. Um, you know, like, subscribe, et cetera, and so forth. Follow Jim. Just go to his website. It's down there. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. With a silent G.